0: convincing story that maps onto reality and that's why the central narrative is falling apart right now in the United States people should not be walking around with must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is you are American while elections are sometimes messy this was a secure election The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance and it's up to us to finish the job I tell you what we are in a truth emergency right now this is the end game. It's Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, the 490th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started, as always, I have to make you aware of the great deals you can find at MyPillow.com. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code reasonable. You'll get up to 60% off items all across My Pillows store and when you order you will receive a free gift, Mike Lindell's book. So, if you need to make your feet more comfortable, go get some slippers. You want to make your bed more comfortable? Go get some Giza dream sheets, mattress pad, some pillows. They've got towels, they've got dog beds. They have got everything to make everyone in your home more comfortable. And When you order, you will be supporting this show. You will be supporting the great American patriot, Mike Lindell, and you will be supporting his great American manufacturing company, MyPillow. Also, I have finally made a Linktree. Linktree has been around for a while, and I don't know why I never went and made one. It seems like a wonderful solution to one of my major problems, which is that people have a continually harder time finding me because I get banned so much. But now you can go to Linktree. The username, as always, is I'm your moderator, and you will see all my affiliated social media accounts are, where the writing is on Substack, where the podcast will eventually be, everywhere you can listen to the podcast now. It drops down a list of all the different podcast apps that the podcast is up on, and it has all of the links for support, including supporting directly via PayPal right there. It is a really great app and very convenient and honestly, probably owned and run by communists. So it will be compromised sooner or later, and then I'll have to find something else. But go ahead and check that out. If you're not following the socials, follow the socials, follow Truth Social, especially because I know that's not going anywhere. And you will always be able to find the show at that point. And one last thing, there is an app in the app store called Substack Reader. And that will bring up whoever you follow on Substack and their articles. And it also has a podcast section on there. I haven't tried it out yet, but I think that It will just have a native podcast player there. And so you can listen to the podcast until I get canceled off Substack directly from the Substack Reader app. So check out Linktree, check out Substack Reader. And that's that. Now, I want to continue talking about the globalists as I have the last two days while they are doing their big meetings in Switzerland. And what I've been talking about the last two days is the explanatory power of the two main explanations for all of the chaos and destruction we see in societies around the world. On one hand, you have the mainstream media story that the problem in the world is actually The populist uprisings around the world, the populist leaders who are elected by the people of the countries they represent, most importantly, Donald Trump, the main target for everything. So everything, all this chaos is caused by Donald Trump and, of course, Donald Trump's supporters because they are uh, cult members. They're following Donald Trump's personality cult. None of us have any actual ideas. We don't have any actual information. We don't understand the world in a different way. We are simply part of a call. And that's because of these massive disinformation operations that we are waging on social media, where we are already censored. They removed thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of us from platforms like Instagram and Twitter. So we are thoroughly censored across the main platforms for social media communication these days. But somehow we have still waged a disinformation operation that has convinced all the cult members to go along with Donald Trump. And that is the source of all the chaos in the world, all the destruction we see of the world's societies. It's because of disinformation, Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters. Now, they don't tell us how Donald Trump was able to put all of these policies in place that ruined everything. Although they try, they will make all sorts of arguments in the mainstream media about how somehow the immigration is Donald Trump's fault. Somehow the inflation is Donald Trump's fault. And then Vladimir Putin's fault. COVID lockdowns forever. Those are Donald Trump's fault because he let COVID in the country. Racism and homophobia and Islamophobia. Those are all Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump's supporters, but they don't actually tell us how any of that works when they have all the power, right? So they've got the fake presidency. They've got all their illegitimate members sitting in Congress and the Senate and in governments, state governments, local governments around the country. They have the expert class, the universities, the media, our entertainment industry, big tech, corporations the political parties, all of the global institutions, and of course, Big Pharma, all backing the Uniparty, all in direct opposition to Donald Trump. Now, representatives of all of those institutions of power from around the world are meeting this week in Switzerland to discuss what Our future will be like the future that they will build for us. And they tell us about their agenda. They inform us very thoroughly about what they want to do. They publish studies and tabletop exercises and war games, telling us exactly how things will run from an expert's perspective when we finally do meet up with these crises that they have been planning for. And of course, they're planning for pandemic response is a great example of that. We know what policies they implemented in real life. We saw it. We experienced it. We know what the results were. We know that masks did not work. They did not save lives. They did not stop COVID from spreading. Instead, they actually destroyed people's health and their mental health as well. And they inhibited the mental development and emotional development of a generation of kids. But that policy was supported by all these institutions of power who are now meeting in Switzerland. So we know what the parties are. We know the agenda that they want to accomplish. And I'll go deeper into aspects of that agenda today. We know that they use the power they have to implement as many aspects of that agenda as they possibly could. And we can see the results, the results that they brag about as as if they were just simply speed bumps. The problems you see are actually not problems. They're just speed bumps on the road to progress. We're in the midst of a great reset. And once it's done, utopia. But right now, things are just a little difficult, but they are unavoidable because these are the only ways to actually solve all of the big problems for everyone, not for the few, for the many. And that's how you know that the Wealthiest and most powerful people on earth are working on your behalf. They're the good guys because they're saying the things they're doing are for everyone. Also, we know that they are the very same people who have profited in extraordinary ways over the last two plus years. So they have all the institutions of power. They set the agenda. We can see the implementation of that agenda in the real world. We can see the results. They brag about the results while excusing them as just issues on the road to progress. And we know that they profit from the results. So on one hand, you have Trump, Trump supporters and disinformation. And on the other hand, you have all of that. Which one of those explanations has more explanatory power for what's going on now? I would suggest it's pretty obviously the thing that people refer to as a conspiracy theory. Now, also this week, I said maybe yesterday, but maybe Monday, that what they are ultimately after is in every way the end of human freedom. They want a society of slaves and masters. And of course, they are the masters. They are the global masters. They are the masters of the universe. They are creating the problems and they are providing the solutions. And the solutions are always part of the agenda they were already trying to institute. And that should be clear. None of their responses to COVID were effective. Zero of their responses to COVID were effective. Lockdowns didn't work masks didn't work, making certain workers, essential workers and other people, non-essential that didn't work. There were therapeutics that worked. They banned those therapeutics, the protocol for remdesivir that causes renal failure, and then a ventilator where 90% of the people who go on it never come off. That didn't work. The vaccines that they've been using Since Joe Biden has been in office, have killed and maimed people, they have not prevented COVID. The people in power don't even pretend any longer that they could prevent COVID. They don't prevent infection or transmission. They also don't prevent serious illness or death. They have been wrong about every single thing. So why did they choose those mitigation steps? Because each and every one of those things leads them closer to the society that they are trying to build according to the agendas that they themselves publish. It's not an accident that they chose all of these incorrect steps. Their focus was never fixing COVID, preventing COVID, saving lives. None of that was ever the priority. And once you understand that, it becomes a lot easier to see what it was they were actually doing. Because all of the things they did are directly in line with their other priorities. And you might say, okay, but those COVID mitigation steps, they're not the end of human freedom. Like, let's not go overboard. And I would say, really? They told you that if you didn't do what they said, you were going to lose your job. They canceled people's careers in a day. They canceled my 15-year career. In one day, with a snap of Gavin Newsom's little commie fingers, there goes my job. Bye-bye. That didn't save any lives. That didn't prevent any illness. They just simply decided that entire industries weren't going to exist anymore or weren't going to exist for a while while they fix everything behind the scenes. But you also have to think about all of the mitigation steps that didn't quite take In any truly broad sense, right? At the beginning, we heard all the time about contact tracing. Contact tracing must be done. What we need is an app that can tell you whether or not you've gotten too close to someone that may have been exposed to COVID. And people were like, yeah, that's what we need. Let them track us down to the very exact spot we are within 18 inches, let's say. And then they can find everyone who came too close to us and tell them to quarantine for two weeks. Despite no scientific support, they forced people to wear masks in order to go to the grocery store to get food. They could choose what you wear on your face and restrict your breathing. And everybody said, oh, it's just a minor thing. It's no big deal. And then they mandated vaccines and told you you would lose your job if you didn't take a vaccine. That's not a vaccine and is a deadly experimental gene therapy. They're currently trying to take away the Second Amendment. They are currently trying to take away the First Amendment through censorship, among other things. But they also stopped people from attending what they deemed large gatherings. They closed churches. Currently. Currently. They are pushing in the WHO and it seems like it might fail for now. And you got to remember when they fail, it's not like they're going to stop trying. OK, you know, everybody made a big deal about uh, Nina Jankowitz being forced to resign after the public scrutiny on her for being director of the disinformation board. And while that's certainly newsworthy. We don't need to go around patting ourselves on the back for a win. They immediately went and replaced her with Michael Chertoff. So they had the person that caused the big public uproar. They pushed her off to the side and replaced her with someone who may well be worse and almost definitely is. And they did that last part after everyone patted themselves on the back for getting rid of Nina So. Her replacement was largely ignored, but they're over there trying to convince nations to cede their national sovereignty to global organizations like the WHO. WHO can declare a health emergency and then institute whatever policies they choose in any country throughout the world. That is the goal that they were attempting to reach this week. And just as an aside, you should think back to 2020 and how they were trying to reconstrue racism as a public health crisis. They have also tried to make guns a public health crisis in America. Both of those conversations have been had in the mainstream for years now. So what would prevent in the system that they have been trying to create? What would prevent the WHO from saying that gun violence is a public health emergency in the United States and therefore all guns must be confiscated? That is the world they are trying to create. It's not hidden. It's not a conspiracy theory. They talk about it all the time. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but okay, that's a lot of things, but it's not the total end of human freedom. That's a slippery slope, man. Okay, well, let's slide a little further down it then. This is from Brownstone uh, yesterday. The headline, this is Aaron Kiriati, by the way, who does great work. The headline is the WHO treaty is tied to a global digital passport and ID system. The WHO recently announced plans for an international pandemic treaty tied to a digital passport and digital ID system meeting in December 2021 in a special session for only the second time since the WHO's founding in 1948. The Health Assembly of the WHO adopted a single decision titled The World Together. The WHO plans to finalize the treaty by 2024. It will aim to shift governing authority now reserved to sovereign states to the WHO during a pandemic by legally binding member states to the WHO's revised International Health Regulations. In January of 2022, the United States submitted proposed amendments to the 2005 International Health Regulations, which bind all 194 UN member states, which the WHO Director General accepted and forwarded to other member states. In contrast to amendments to our own constitution these amendments will not require a two thirds vote of our Senate, but a simple majority of the member states. Most of the public is wholly unaware of these changes, which will impact the national sovereignty of member states. And just an aside for my personal opinion, take it for what you will. I don't think that this could actually work for any extended period of time. I think this would be challenged in court. I think it would eventually reach the Supreme Court. And if they are executing their role as determining what's legal relative to the U.S. Constitution, this thing would never actually become a law that governs America. That remains to be seen. And regardless of any of that, we all have the ability to not comply. And noncompliance should be our default position for whatever they ask us to do from this point forward. And yes, I do mean in every single scenario imaginable. The proposed amendments include, among others, the following among the changes, the WHO will no longer need to consult with the state or attempt to obtain verification from the state where a reported event of concern, for example, a new outbreak is allegedly occurring before taking action on the basis of such reports. In addition to the authority to make the determination of a public health emergency of international concern under Article 12, the WHO will be granted additional powers to determine a public health emergency of regional concern, as well as a category referred to as an intermediate health alert. The relevant state no longer needs to agree with the WHO director general's determination that an event constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. A new emergency committee. Will be constituted at the WHO, which the Director General will consult in lieu of the state within whose territory the public health emergency of international concern has occurred to declare the emergency over. So they decide what constitutes an emergency. They decide that an emergency is happening somewhere. That country, that member state, has no say in whether or not to implement their prescribed recommendations. The WHO will force compliance and the WHO decides when the public health emergency ends. The amendments will also give regional directors within the WHO, rather than elected representatives of the relevant states, the legal authority to declare a public health emergency of regional concern. Also, when an event does not meet criteria for a public health emergency of international concern, but the WHO director general determines it requires heightened awareness and a potential international public health response, he may determine at any time to issue an intermediate public health alert to states and consult the WHO's emergency committee. The criteria for this category are simple fiat. The director general has determined it requires heightened international awareness and a potential international public health response. That's it. That's all that must be said. And now your society has to do whatever they say. And the director general of the WHO is Tedros Adhanom Gabrasis, who has plenty of his own problems. And it's worth taking a little tangent to remind ourselves of those problems because he was just reinstated yesterday for another five years in that position. This is from Breitbart. Five shocking facts about WHO chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. The director general of the Chinese Communist Party-influenced World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, is not a medical doctor and is a member of a Marxist Leninist Ethiopian political party that analysts have listed as a perpetrator of terrorism. U.S. President Donald Trump's administration has said it is reevaluating American taxpayer funded assistance to the WHO, a United Nations organ, over its lackluster response to the raging novel coronavirus pandemic and its relationship with China. The coronavirus originated in China's Wuhan region. On Wednesday, the WHO director defended the international organization's response to the viral outbreak in response to Trump's criticism, claiming that the nation of Taiwan has been instigating a campaign of racist slurs against him without providing evidence. Although U.S. funding for the WHO reportedly exceeds China's financial contributions more than tenfold, Beijing appears to maintain more influence over the UN entity. Below are five worrisome facts about the man leading the WHO amid the coronavirus pandemic that has infected over one point five million people and killed over 90,000 across the world as of Thursday afternoon. And obviously this is from quite a long time ago, April 10th, 2020 Tedros helped Beijing hide the severity of the coronavirus outbreak. On January 14th, months after health officials are believed to have detected the first case of the virus in China on November 17th of last year, the WHO was promoting a Chinese claim via Twitter that there was no clear evidence of human to human transmission. And we all know where that went. Tedros is not a medical doctor. He holds a doctorate of philosophy and community health from the University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom and a master of science in immunology of infectious diseases from the University of London. China reportedly supported Tedros's rise to the to lead the WHO in 2017, even though he was not trained as a medical doctor. The WHO is a member of the leftist Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. As a member of the violent and powerful communist Ethiopian political party known as the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, Tedros rose through Ethiopia's autocratic regime as health and foreign minister. Analysts reportedly, including American government officials, have listed the TPLF in the global terrorism database. When it came to power in 1991, TPLF was in the vanguard of that year's overthrow of Ethiopia's military regime under dictator Colonel Mengistu hail Mariam, I hope TPLF played a role in Ethiopia's 1980s famine a few years after launching its protected rebellion against the military government in 1975. The party is also reportedly linked to other gross human rights violations. Tedros helped in debt Ethiopia to China. Ethiopia has borrowed billions from China, reportedly including more than $13 billion during Tedros' tenure as foreign minister between 2012 and 2016. An editorial published by The Hill in mid-March pointed out, We note China's connections to Tedros' homeland of Ethiopia, now called East Africa's Little China, because it has become China's bridgehead to influence Africa and a key to China's Belt and Road Initiative there. Indeed, China has invested heavily in Ethiopia and the Belt and Road Initiative is, if you're not familiar, China's effort to essentially take on the responsibility of building modern infrastructure in companies like Ethiopia and all sorts of other resource rich nations around the world. They'll build up the infrastructure so that they can more easily extract those resources. And the cover story for this is that they are creating brand new infrastructure in these countries, allowing them to modernize. But the problem then is that China still controls the infrastructure and all of this is built out for China's own benefit. It's basically the Chinese Communist Party saying We will modernize your country, and in return, we will own your country. Citing the coronavirus threat last month, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed asked the international community for immediate debt relief. China has become Ethiopia's largest trading partner, thanks in part to Beijing's investments in the African country, while Tedros was foreign minister. Tedros named Robert Mugabe a W.H.O. goodwill ambassador. In October 2017, Tedros named Mugabe a goodwill ambassador to help combat non-communicable diseases in Africa, provoking outrage from medical professionals and human rights groups. At the time, the New York Times noted, the role of goodwill ambassador is largely symbolic, but rights groups were scathing in their reaction to the symbolism of giving it to a man whose leadership, they say, has led to the collapse of its health service and major rights abuses in Zimbabwe. Ultimately, Tedros rescinded his decision to name Mugabe Goodwill Ambassador in the wake of criticism. So Tedros rose to power in a Marxist-Leninist party in Ethiopia. He is extraordinarily corrupt. He has been involved in covering up famine and pandemics. He has led the way to China's ownership of Ethiopia. And he tried to name the brutal Robert Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador to the WHO. This is who's running the WHO. This is who would be in control of pandemic response worldwide. And his commands would have to be implemented by whatever countries he chose. Imagine What that would have been like during coronavirus, rather than having Donald Trump as president and some Republican governors who did whatever work to preserve the society within their own states. Rather than that, we would be implementing whatever that guy says. We would still be locked down right now. Face masks would be everywhere. Contact tracing would be everywhere. Vaccine compliance would have to be near 100% or else we wouldn't be able to interact with our society. Vaccine passports would be everywhere. This is what they want. And this is who would be implementing it. Now let's go back to Brownstone. Through these amendments, the WHO, with the support of the U.S., appears to be responding to roadblocks that China erected in the early days of COVID. This is a legitimate concern. But the net effect of the proposed amendments is a shift of power away from sovereign states, ours included, to unelected bureaucrats at the WHO. The thrust of every one of the changes is toward increased powers and centralized powers delegated to the WHO and away from member states. And this is one of those directional things that is worth noting. All of the amendments work toward the same goal. Okay. This is like all of the new election laws that keep springing up in states around the country. They want to extend early voting. They want to make mail-in ballots sent out to every registered voter, the new standard. They want ballot harvesting allowed. They want to eradicate voter ID. They want illegal immigrants to be able to vote. And they say all of this is so that they can expand access So more people can exercise their right to vote. But that is clearly not true. And part of what makes it so clear is that each and every one of their solutions to a problem that they have invented out of nothing is to make the election process less secure and less trustworthy. To believe that that happened by accident would be insane. Leslyn Lewis, a member of the Canadian Parliament and lawyer with international experience, has warned that the treaty would also allow the WHO unilaterally to determine what constitutes a pandemic and declare when a pandemic is occurring. We would end up with a one-size-fits-all approach for the entire world, she cautioned. Under the proposed WHO plan, pandemics need not be limited to infectious diseases and could include, for example, a declared obesity crisis. Imagine that. Imagine one day they could do it on day one. They could define America's obesity problem as an obesity crisis, a public health emergency, and then shut us down just like they did with COVID until things get sorted out. And they get to decide when that is as well. As part of this plan, the WHO has contracted German-based Deutsche Telekom subsidiary T-Systems to develop a global vaccine passport system with plans to link every person on the planet to a QR code digital ID vaccination certificates that are tamper proof and digitally verifiable build trust. WHO is therefore supporting member states in building national and regional trust networks and verification technology, explained Garrett Mell, head of the WHO's Department of Digital Health and Innovation. The WHO's gateway service also serves as a bridge between regional systems. It can also be used as part of future vaccination campaigns and home-based records. Oh, you see that? So you get something too. You get your to have all your health records at home on your app. Isn't that such a great bonus? Everybody is going to be so over the moon about getting to look at their own health records that they'll just give up all their freedoms. What a trade. This system will be universal, mandatory, transnational and operated by unelected bureaucrats in a captured NGO who already bungled the covid pandemic response. So a global digital vaccine passport and I.D. Everyone has it. Everyone has a QR code. They can scan these things Anywhere they want, as long as they say it's for a public health emergency. Now, I personally wasn't in a place where I had to scan a vaccine ID to get into bars or restaurants or events. Now, there were places that I was not allowed to go because I did not have a vaccine ID card because, of course, I did not participate in the medical experiment. But I have friends in other countries who had to scan a QR code to get into a bar. My friend from Ireland, from Dublin, had that experience. And I have spoken on the podcast before about companies like Clear, the company that you always see at the airport. They're going to make your trip through the security line super fast. And of course, they plan to expand that program well beyond airports. They already have clear at stadiums in states that wanted to enforce vaccine IDs. They are trying to make this part of people's lives. They want to be able to have this one clear passport that you show to go anywhere. And people think, oh, this is no big deal. They already track our phones everywhere. They know where we are. So I have to show this little code. Whatever. I got vaccinated. Okay. Well, they're not giving you that code as some great gift so that it makes your life easier. They're doing it so that they can cut off access if you don't comply. But it's not just compliance with their health standards and with vaccines. This is from a month ago, also in Breitbart. Italy to pilot social credit system for climate friendly behavior. The city of Bologna, Italy, has announced a pilot program to reward virtuous citizens for recycling, taking public transportation and curbing energy usage. The program, which has been likened to China's social credit system, is slated to go into effect in September 2022 using a smart citizen wallet app for cell phones. Oh, you're a smart citizen, a virtuous citizen. Virtuous, by the way, that I just read a second ago. That's in quotes. That's really part of how they're describing this. In September, we will start with a pilot project for the city. At the center is the virtuous citizen, the one who, for example, separates waste well or does not waste energy or uses public transport and does not receive fines or actively uses the Bologna welcome card announced Massimo Bugani counselor for the city's digital agenda and civic use of data at a press conference late last month. The municipality will assign such citizens a score as part of a reward system with economic benefits to individual users. Bugani explained citizens will have access to their rating, which can be improved by earning points that they may then spend on prizes such as rebates and cultural activities as a reward for their quote-unquote virtuous behavior. Bugani stated that the app was part of a broader initiative by the city of Bologna to engage in digital innovation. What we call a new water system for the city is being built, he said, adding that in coming years, many services will go digital in Italy. We have an ambitious project here that is built on solid foundations. Although Bugani has insisted that participation in the program will be voluntary, he has expressed his confidence that many will enroll. Critics of the program, such as the Italian tech firm Privacy Network, which specialized in digital privacy, have warned of the legal, ethical and societal implications of such apps. These practices, if poorly developed or used, can lead to serious limitations on and violations of citizens' rights and freedoms, as well as discriminatory practices, which are also achieved through technological means, such as social credit systems or social scoring, reads a Privacy Network online statement. Nowhere have the dangers of this practice been more evident than in China, where social credit scores affect citizens' ability to travel, education, employment and even welfare support. It is unsurprising that in Italy, social credit scoring is being introduced in relation to environmental friendliness, given its love affair with green politics. As Breitbart News has reported, the Italian government has introduced rationing of air conditioning and heat in an attempt to reduce the nation's dependence on imported Russian energy. As of May 21st, public buildings will be limited in their use of heating and cooling with caps set on maximum and minimum temperatures and stiff fines for failing to respect them. While the mandatory limits will initially affect only public buildings, the AC and heat rationing may be extended to private homes in the future, according to reports. Like much of Europe, Italy has become heavily dependent on Russian oil and gas due to its unwillingness to produce its own energy. And EU governments are currently providing some billion dollars a day to Moscow for its gas and oil. So let's just back up for a second here. They are going to be able to determine whether or not you can heat or air condition your home and to how much. And you can imagine a world where your social credit score will dictate how much you're able to heat or air condition your home. And you can say, okay, well, they're just trying it in Italy. Maybe the experiment won't work and they'll give up on it. Yeah, okay. I mean, this is their stated goal for decades to be able to track and monitor everything citizens do and then compel compliance in whatever. manner they deem necessary, but it probably really is just an experiment. Just like in Los Angeles, they're experimenting with universal basic income. Sure, these are critical parts of their agenda, but it's just an experiment. It's just an isolated thing. It's not happening everywhere until every nation cedes its sovereignty to a global body like the WHO or the UN, which is exactly where they are headed. A social credit score in Italy, that rewards virtuous behavior. What does it do to behavior they deem not virtuous? And you have to ask yourself that question, knowing already that they have done a whole range of things over the last few years designed specifically to limit your ability to live your life as normal because they don't want you to live your life as normal. They want the new normal. The new normal is the plan. The new normal is the agenda. That's why they are so proud of how they are able to capitalize on all of these various crises to make the world more as they want it. It will be intelligently designed, but by them, don't you understand the intelligent people? And so consider the technology. They can track you everywhere you will ever go with your permission now because you are participating in their program. You have complied. You have said, yeah, sure, I'll participate in that. That doesn't sound like too much freedom to give up. They know everywhere you go. They know your entire medical status and history. They know whether or not you're vaccinated. They know whether you are up to date on your vaccine booster subscription. So you got the first one. You complied a year and a half ago. Well, that's not enough now. You've got to comply all the time, every time, or you will be counted as unvaccinated. And this will clearly be extended beyond just vaccine status. What happens if you are part of the obesity epidemic? Then do they get to decide which food you're allowed to eat? Well, yes, but they also get to decide which food everyone else is allowed to eat. Because if you choose to eat a steak, you're going to get a demerit. If you choose to eat crickets, you'll get a bonus. And I bet they'll give you an even bigger bonus if you try to encourage other people to also eat crickets. So it tracks you. It has your medical status. It can force compliance in the medical programs. It has your social credit score based on how you interact with your world. They can simply say that you're not doing the right thing in regard to their climate agenda and you'll get more demerits, your access to your own life will be restricted. And of course, they'll also judge your social media presence, the things that you say, the people you talk to. All of these things will be factors in your social credit score. If your phone is close to my phone for too long, you will get demerits for being in my presence because, of course, I am a no-no person who says the no-no things. So they will immediately know that you might be a no-no person too. Or at least you have some no-no person sympathies. And that's not allowed. We are monsters. And all of this is done. The backdrop being a cashless global central bank digital currency. And if this all sounds very complicated, don't worry. It won't be. It'll all exist on the same app. They will know exactly what you spend money on, and they will be able to stop you from spending money on certain things. Just look at Canada with the trucker rallies. They stopped people from being able to donate to the truckers. They straight up froze people's accounts just because they chose to. Again, there's no conspiracy theory here, it is only conspiracy. And the conspiracy is readily definable. We know the parties, we know the agenda. We can see the agenda being implemented. We know the results of the agenda. We know they brag about the results and justify them as mere speed bumps in the road to progress. And we know that they profit from the implementation of the agenda. We need to see the thing as it is in whole. If unelected bureaucrats from around the world in global governing bodies can declare health emergencies and Dictate to us what our response must be and then command compliance through the use of digital tracking, vaccine passports, social credit scores and a cashless global central bank digital currency that they can turn on and off. What decisions are you allowed to make with all your freedom except the ones that support the state? And that is the ultimate communist dream. What they are creating is not utopia. What they are creating is not for the good of the many. What they are bringing on is the end of human freedom. You will be free in so far as they don't know everything you're doing, except they do know everything you're doing. But nonetheless, the child brains who are still loving Instagram, loving posting their travel photos and the photos of their very expensive lattes and their over-edited selfies. They don't even think of their compliance as compliance. They just do what they're told. And they think that once they have done what they're told, then they'll be free. But that freedom ends when they stop doing what they're told. So where does the freedom exist? And once again, this is an example of a child's brain at work. They want to be rewarded for their good behavior. They have to comply no matter what. So they are better off complying out of their own volition. So they get rewarded. But the end result is the same at all times. Full compliance or punishment. And there is even a subset of these people who doesn't see anything wrong with that. They don't care because they are materialists and nihilists. And their view of success and happiness is material comfort at all times. They are more than willing to give up all of their individual freedoms to achieve that material comfort. And it's actually gotten even a little worse than that especially over the last decade, because they don't even necessarily care about the benefits of material comfort anymore. At this point, they are down to comply with anything simply for public approval on social media apps almost entirely by strangers because their commitment is to the party of false decorum and the party of false decorum will always go along to get along in any arena because their success is achieved through impressing and pleasing people that they see as better than them. Now, I know I'm supposed to probably talk about the Texas shooting yesterday, but I'm not going to because too much of the story is unknown and we are already back in the cycle of idiocy. That immediately turns any tragic event into a new way to enhance the communist political agenda. That conversation doesn't need to be had over and over and over again. And I think it should largely be ignored. And I know you're like, well, you can't ignore it or else they're going to take away our guns. But I mean, really? They weren't able to successfully execute their vaccine mandate program. You think they're just going to send the Gestapo around next month? It's not going to happen. They've been trying this for a very, very long time. People are awake to it, and the communists are exposing just how insane they are. They're not out there making a strong case to the American public about the need for gun control. It's also worth mentioning that today is the two-year anniversary of George Floyd dying from a fentanyl overdose while being restrained by a police officer. And it's worth remembering who the real heroes of that period were. Black Lives Matter and Antifa, the rioters, the looters, the people burning down cities, the people in Chaz Chop in Seattle, all those little hippies that created the Summer of Love, which was immediately taken over by a rapper <laughs> with a gun and there were all sorts of uh robberies and rapes and violent incidents in the chaz chop independent republic of seattle the summer of love they're the real heroes but also you cannot forget all of the people who posted black squares on their instagram in order to solve racism those are the real heroes but there were no greater heroes than the American celebrities who told all the rest of us how we should live and how we should think. Remember Brianna Taylor? That was their next cause. Turns out they were completely wrong about every relevant fact there, but whatever. And then you had Jacob Blake, the knife wielding criminal who was forcibly inserting his fingers into his ex-girlfriend so that he could tell whether or not she was cheating on him. And then he got shot by police and Kamala Harris went and visited him. Remember all those great stories from that summer? Oh, two years. It's been two years. No one was a bigger hero, though, than the celebrities who said, I, I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every racist word I've ever heard around me. They must have been responding to... The American bat signal that went up into the sky and said, celebrities, please save us. It's been two years and they still complain about racism. That's so weird. Thought they had that thing solved. I mean, wasn't that Trump's America? Wasn't that the whole thing? You put in the guy who was mentored for decades by a Klansman in order to fix racism but racism's still here. I guess it's just too much of Trump's America. Now, last night, we got the results of the GOP primary elections in Georgia. And the Rhino establishment had what is currently being referred to as a big evening. It was a rejection of the Trump agenda. Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger and feckless Attorney General Chris Carr. All won their primaries. And as it stands now, they will be facing members of the Democrat Communist Party this fall. Kemp will be facing off against the human election fraud machine, Stacey Abrams. And we all know which direction that's going. And we are being told that we should accept the idea that all of these rhinos won, despite everything we know happening on the ground in Georgia and happening around the country. Trump's 90 plus percent approval rate among Republicans. None of that matters. Trump was rejected last night in the selection of these establishment rhinos, and they have been pushing this narrative for the last few weeks. Mike Pence went down there to support Brian Kemp. Doug Ducey and Chris Christie and Pete Ricketts went down to support Brian Kemp. The George Bush political apparatus was supporting Brian Kemp. And we even had Stuart Varney interviewing Donald Trump on Fox yesterday, suggesting that many Republicans around the country want to look forward. We don't want to look back to the election of 2020. What the Republicans really need is for you to stop repeating the big lie and for others to stop repeating it. And of course, that helps the narrative that they were about to try to sell to the American public a few hours later that the rhino establishment rejected Trump in Georgia because what Republican voters want is good, responsible, centrist Republican politics and not fixing election fraud. And because that explanation is entirely unsatisfactory, they also have to reiterate that Georgia is an open primary. So Democrats can actually cross over and vote in the Republican primary. And we're told that hundreds of thousands of them did exactly that so that they could power Brian Kemp to his win, knowing that Stacey Abrams was unopposed in her primary. So they have their preferred candidate, Stacey Abrams. She's safely headed on to the general election. So Democrats could best use their vote by putting Brian Kemp in the race And making sure that the Donald Trump endorsed candidate, David Perdue, or the kind of dark horse candidate, Candace Taylor, they could not be the representative. Brian Kemp had to get over 50% so that he would not head to a runoff. And so as it stands now, they have Brian Kemp winning by 50 points over Donald Trump's candidate. The best explanation for that is that so many Democrats went and voted for Brian Kemp. So that is the legitimacy of Brian Kemp's primary win. It is on the back of corrupt Democrats who are willing not only to embrace election fraud and to cover up election fraud that already did happen, but to maintain their grip on power in Georgia by crossing over and voting for the Republicans who helped them cement the election fraud of 2020 and helped to make sure that that election fraud system could remain in place in as many ways as possible. Everybody is supposed to accept that result based on the explanatory power of the Democrat crossover narrative, the explanatory power of. Republican voters rejecting Trump and Trumpism, which is utter nonsense. And the fact that the Republican establishment rallied around Brian Kemp. While knowing that Georgia is one of the most corrupt states in the union when it comes to election fraud. And just for another example of that. This was a press release issued Monday by Voter GA, that's Garland Favoritos organization. 102 Georgia counties can't produce Dropbox videos. Voter GA issues demand letter to state election board. Voter GA announced today their Dropbox video survey team determined that 102 Georgia counties were unable to produce Dropbox surveillance videos from the November 2020 election. The team obtained admissions from 72 counties that all of the videos intended to monitor Dropboxes for ballot trafficking were destroyed. Voter GA volunteers made the determinations by submitting open records requests for the videos from each county. Thus, video monitoring is missing for 181,507 cast ballots. And that's totally something that a county would do after running the safest and most secure election of all time. That was absolutely free of fraud. Last fall, voter GA announced that they had obtained admissions from 56 counties that most or all of their ballot images were unavailable. A total of 1.7 million ballot images were destroyed. Georgia does not run, say, for secure elections. They run some of the dirtiest elections in the country. And Seth Keschel had some great analysis on what he saw in Georgia last night. He said preliminary findings for Georgia GOP governor primary, Candace Taylor's best counties, Appling, That's her home county. She got 21.2% Brantley, 19.3 Jeff Jefferson Davis County, 18.2 bacon, 17.6. He goes on Kemp's current percentage, 73.7%, 73.7% of the vote to Brian Kemp, one of the most despised governors in this union, one of the governors singularly responsible for covering up 2020 election fraud and obstructing efforts to prove that election fraud. And it's worth remembering that he refused to call a special session in Georgia after his daughter's boyfriend was blown up in his car. But we are told he got almost 75% of the vote. County that slipped through the cracks, Brantley, only one without a majority and only at 48.6% support. This is for Kemp. 31% for Purdue, 19.3% for Taylor. I would scrutinize the vote here to see why Kemp dominated the surrounding counties, but had issues in Brantley. 28 counties of 159 made up more than 1% of the 2020 Trump vote. Kemp exceeded his 73.7% statewide average in 21 of those 28, highlighted by DeKalb, Cobb, Fulton, Douglas, Bibb, and Gwinnett. All of those places had election fraud problems in 2020. Most counties are closely correlated to their percentage of GOP vote in 2020. Example, Fulton cast 5.57% of the GOP vote in 2020 and 5.7% of the GOP vote in the 2022 primary. Cobb is the most notable disparity with 6.72% of the GOP vote cast in 2020 and 7.61% of it cast in the 2022 primary. Georgia Senate race for Dems drew 713,499 votes with Abrams running uncontested. GOP primary drew 48.5% of the 2020 total Trump vote. Dems are at twenty eight point eight percent of the supposed Biden vote and perhaps about thirty five percent of the legitimate Biden vote total, assuming perhaps two million actual votes. Conclusion. Early ballots, phantom votes by mail, potential cyber manipulation of votes, plus major dem turnout in GOP primaries particularly in the urban centers, has produced a massively inflated Kemp total. Not only a majority, but a mega blowout, beating Trump's endorsement by over 50% and creating noticeable rifts in the disparity between urban and rural Georgia with the Purdue plus Taylor anti-Kemp vote. And it's worth keeping in mind how much they were touting the early vote totals. And we'll find out, but you can imagine that much of that was due to the mail-in ballots that they send to everybody. It should disturb everyone that we are being told the GOP candidate for governor was chosen by Democrats filling out mail-in ballots and sending them in early. Open primaries should be under a lot of scrutiny and they should be done away with. It is utterly insane that the Democrat establishment and the Rhino establishment just united to put Brian Kemp into that governor's race. And none of them are even disputing that. That is the explanation. Democrats did it. But back to Seth Keschel. This is the purpose of weeks of early voting, mass mail-in voting and open primaries that allow members of the other party to prop up weak candidates. Mike Pence has one percent support in a potential 2024 primary. And you mean to tell me his man gets 74 percent of the vote and the grassroots candidates get blown away in an anti-establishment year? This is the same exact Texas playbook. O'Rourke is virtually uncontested and there is massive urban turnout in the GOP primary bloated by Dems to ensure that Texas first and Georgia first, America first, candidates are shut out. So we're going to have to continue to see how things develop in Georgia. I think that there is more to this story yet to be told. And finally, I just want to touch on some Ukraine stuff. The National Pulse is reporting today. This is Natalie Winters. The headline, Bill Gates's Foundation is Funding the UN's Ukrainian Refugee Program. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is Funding the UN's Ukraine Refugee Resettlement Program. The Microsoft co-founder's charitable foundation pledged one million and three million to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, known as the U.N. Refugee Agency, to, quote, support refugees fleeing Ukraine to bordering countries. The grant was announced in March and is set to be distributed over the course of one year. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has previously distributed grants to the UNHCR roughly 10 times, totaling nearly $20 million, and has been partnered with the agency since 2006. Gates tweeted about his donation, writing, In a crisis, we can always look for helpers, the people who are putting their lives on the line to aid refugees and victims of the invasion and support them. I'm proud to support the U.N.'s Refugee Agency and urge the global community to do the same. The grant comes amidst the ongoing conflict between Ukrainian and Russian forces, with as many as 13 million Ukrainians leaving the country since the onset of fighting. Poland appears to be accepting the highest number of Ukrainian refugees, according to UNHCR data. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's ties to the UN Refugee Resettlement Program follow the national pulse, unearthing the charity's ties to Chinese Communist Party influence operations, including those targeting American agriculture and farmland. In addition to partnering with self-declared socialist groups, disseminating propaganda on behalf of Beijing, the foundation has also funded scientific research at several China-based labs with ties to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, believed by many to be the source of COVID-19. Despite COVID-19, whose true origins continue to be obscured by the Chinese Communist Party, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has continued to fund research in the country, Since December 2019, the foundation has sent a total of 93 grants, adding up to fifty four million five hundred seventy three thousand four hundred twenty eight dollars to China based projects. But of course, that's not the only source of funding for global communist corruption in Ukraine. George News reports about the truth about the 40 billion dollars in USAID ostensibly being spent to arm Ukraine. Once you take time to parse the details, you quickly realize the media is misleading the American public on the reality of the $40 billion ostensibly designated to buy weapons and equip Ukraine with a cornucopia of lethality. Mark Kansian at the Center for Strategic and International Studies provides an excellent breakdown of what was actually appropriated. Here is a quick summary. $19 billion for immediate military support to Ukraine. $3.9 billion to sustain U.S. forces deployed to Europe. $16 billion for economic support to Ukraine and global humanitarian relief. Just economic support. Where's that going to go? Nobody knows. $2 billion for long-term support to NATO allies and DOD modernization programs. So we just have to give NATO money. Hey, NATO, here's more money. Right off the bat, you can see that Ukraine is not getting $40 billion worth of military goodies to whack Russians. They are not even getting $19 billion. The $19 billion is carved up into smaller packages, $6 billion for training, equipment, weapons, logistic support, supplies and services, salaries and stipends, and intelligence support to the military and national security forces of Ukraine and the specifics of the expenditures remain to be determined. $19 nineteen billion dollars to replenish US weapons stocks already sent to Ukraine. Four billion dollars for the foreign military financing program. This allows a foreign country like Ukraine to buy brand new weapon systems. So basically that money that our Congress and Senate have approved, that many of our fellow citizens support when they hashtag stand with Ukraine not even going to support the Ukrainian military operation. It's just being flushed down the corruption hole in Ukraine. And since that money is going to people who are all aligned with the agenda I have discussed throughout this podcast and throughout many podcasts, you become aware that that money is actually fungible. It just Goes into the pot for the corruption. We need to pay certain people off in different places to execute different parts of the agenda. We'll just keep that funding rolling in and we will manage where it goes so that all the people we need to support financially are supported enough to keep implementing the same globalist agenda. It's no surprise that people like Bill Gates, people like George Soros, are heavily invested in this Ukraine situation. It's no surprise that the World Economic Forum is heavily invested in the Ukraine situation. It's no surprise that all of these tie in to the WHO, the very organization trying to eliminate national sovereignty and with that, individual sovereignty. None of it is a conspiracy theory. It is just a conspiracy. You should listen to them when the most powerful people and institutions and organizations, and governments get together, decide on an agenda, tell everybody their agenda, implement the agenda in ways that you can see in real life, the results of which you experience in real life, the results that they brag about and profit from. It is not a difficult realization. You just have to come to terms with the fact that they really are doing it. And that the no-no people were right the whole time. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that